Good evening. <laughs> I'd like, if I may, to tell you a strange and unusual story. <laughs> Welcome to tonight's stream. We're going to be talking about the Rocky Horror Show. Michael Rainey was ill the day the earth stood still. But he told us where we stand. And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear. Claude Rains was the invisible man. Then something went wrong. Fay Ray and King Kong, they got caught in a cellular jam. Then at a deadly pace, they came from outer space. And this is how the message ran. Like a, a science fiction. Double feature. Wow, wow, wow. Dr. X. We'll build a creature. Wow, wow, wow. See androids fighting. Brad and Janet, bow, 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 and Francis stars in <laughs> Forbidden Planet. Ooh, uh, 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 oh, at the late night double feature picture show. I want to go. Uh oh, <laughs> to the late night double feature picture show. I feel so bad for whoever <laughs> listens back to this unless the oh my God. This dude singing acapella science fiction double feature. Welcome to tonight's show. I, I How could we not do a Rocky Horror show in the month of October? We have a lot of people in the in the chat somewhat. We got Eric. Hello, Eric. We got Amy. Amy's in the house. Amy, how you doing? Angus is here. And yeah. Okay. That's three. That's okay. Um, so, Rocky Horror. Before we even get started, we ne I never, we never really talk about Rocky Horror here, and there is there's a lot to say. What's up, Dan? How is Dan's season greetings? Happy Halloween. Um, Rocky Horror. Well, let me tell you my Rocky Horror origin story. If anybody wants to share their Rocky Horror origin story, you can do so in the comments. Please feel free. When I was about 10 years old, I went over to my friend Andrew Norwicki's house. It was the middle of the day. Uh, the year had to be 
1995. Oh, the year was 1995, something like that. And on a very old fashioned box TV, you know, four by three box TV, tube TV. It was the kind, it was so old timey. It had like the fabric speakers on the side. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it was made out of wood. And he popped in this tape and we watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the worst possible time, the middle of the day. Who watches Rocky Horror in the middle of the day? Two 10-year-old boys watch Rocky Horror in the middle of the day. This was, I can still remember it to this day. I can remember that first time watching that movie. Um, there, there are there are a few things, few like cinematic screens. I, you know, movies are a big part of my life. I talk about them on the channel all the time as they are a part of your life, probably out there, whoever's listening, you know, um, and there are certain movie experiences that just galvanize you and galvanize who you are and what you're going to become. Seeing Rocky horror at that incredibly young age pickled me pickled me like you know in brine in bizarro brine i suddenly was like this is who i am on some level and uh it had a lot of weird stuff that was beyond my understanding you know at the time i'm like what is you know there's a lot of there's a lot of cross-dressing stuff a lot of you know all different all sorts of types of labels that you'd put on rocky horror um but what's interesting is whether you are keyed into that stuff or not, uh, you still, there's something in Rocky horror for everybody, everybody. This movie is uh universal for uh, unconventional conventionists. <laughs> Amy says doing good, Jeff. It's astounding time. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. That's right. The time warp. We just, I just time warp back to 1995 thinking about that. But um, that became, that began, you know, a lifelong affair with Rocky Horror, which carried on through the rest of the 90s, mainly through VH1. VH1 was always playing Rocky Horror. So I would always, always catch Rocky Horror. They had, they had um, VH1. Remember pop up video? There was the Rocky Horror pop up video. They did. Uh, they did a bunch of stuff in the year two thousand. I there was a revival of Rocky Horror Show, which is different. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is different than the Rocky Horror Show. And we're going to get all into that. So I hope you're ready for a nice deep history lesson. I got the perfect website to help me. Um, the Rocky Horror Show, from which the Rocky Horror Picture Show is based on, is the original in, incarnation. Rocky Horror Picture Show is an adaptation, a cinematic adaptation of what is essentially a very small contained stage play. Okay. Um, so I saw that and, you know, and then uh, as years went by, you know, I started doing, you know, you do the late night thing. Uh, I go at midnight to go see Rocky Horror. And there was a, there was a time where I was just, I mean, I was going, it became one of my Halloween traditions every Halloween at midnight. And make sure to be there for Rocky Horror. Hey, what's up, Jody Ramon? How you doing? I saw you in the Hellraiser stream that we just did. Been doing movie reviews, guys. Check them out. So I would do that as well. Um, just to kind of like, it's really hard to like, like do an overall surmization of something that's so massively epic. But to some... <laughs> 
Amy, Amy is making me feel well. I maybe not me personally, but like making me realize like how incredibly old Rocky Horror is. Rocky Horror is going to be fifty years old soon. Forty-seven years old. Amy says my grandparents are huge, huge fans. Every year they celebrate. A Amy, from the sounds of it, from what I hear, from what you say, you seem to have the coolest family ever. It's freaking awesome. That is awesome. I wish my grandparents were in into Rocky Horror. That would be that would have been interesting. Actually, my nana probably would have gotten down with some Rocky Horror, knowing her. She she was she was weird like she was weird like me. Angus says, "Remember seeing Rocky Horror Picture sure in the '80s on a pretty regular basis in St. Louis. Uh, once saw Wendy O. Williams of the Plasmatics." As one of the dancers in the front of the screen, his, what he's referring to, the dancers in front of the screen are what's known as a shadow cast. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. They were doing a shadow cast. Uh, Dan says, my last viewing was about 10 years ago. I called into work and watched it with my hot neighbor. She was a huge fan. I've always liked it. Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul is my favorite song. R.I.P. Meatloaf. Yes. R.I.P. Meatloaf, indeed. I got to once eat dinner with Meatloaf. I talked about that during my Meatloaf memorial stream. Um, I did not talk to him about Rocky Horror. I wish I did. But, you know, I almost forget when I think about that memory with Meatloaf, I forget, like, that's Eddie. Like, I got to eat lunch with Eddie. It was pretty cool. Eric says, my dad tried out for the first North American Broadway tour of Rocky Horror. Didn't make it, but he went to New York and got to try out, and that was cool enough for me. So are you talking about are you talking about the the um what is it the Belasco when they went to Broadway? Are you talking about in 1975? Because we are going to be talking about that. We are going to be talking about that. That's important. But to surmise Rocky Horror, Rocky Horror is a counterculture revolution um that like rivals any of the other counterculture movements, and it's 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 more than it's more than music and it's more than movie. It's everything. It's like, it's so, it's so many things all combined together. You do have the, the musical soundtrack. It is a musical. You have horror, the horror thing going on. You have um, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the sexual, the sexuality, the sexual liberation, the sexual freedom. So many people have found freedom in Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror has saved countless lives. Whether I whether you believe it or not, Rocky Horror has saved so many people's lives. I mean, people owe their life to Rocky Horror. You know, like it's kind of insane. Um so so it's it's like this incredibly it's like this incredibly potent revolution pop culture counterculture revolution it's counter underground culture revolution that um that gave birth to the midnight movie that gave birth really to the modern cult film we know cult films all cult films are measured by rocky horror the idea of a movie that was made uh to be a commercial success and what ends up being a commercial failure and yet finds an audience a grassroots audience and you know i mean I, nothing i'm saying here is really doing rocky horror justice to be honest like i'm trying my best to like formulate my words but i'm failing to really like communicate the 
the the the scene that formed around i mean people's social lives completely predicated on shadow cast shadow cast is when you get up in front of the stage and you act out the movie word for word people making up language and 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 scripted lines comedy bits live comedy theater from the audience improv being shouted at the screen at midnight i mean what a what a phenomenon man what a friggin' phenomenon when you think about it and um yeah like i said it has saved a lot of people a lot of people who were sexually you know uh inhibited who didn't know how to express themselves suddenly through rocky horror found an outlet you know for those who maybe were either whether you were in the closet whether you maybe you just wanted to wear women's clothing maybe you just wanted to dress you know uh differently i don't know there's so many different you know ways to say this and i'm not even sure that i'm saying it in like the politically correct kind of way but like so many people were able to like uh yeah eric you're so right it's like a family that accepts yeah it's it's a family of it's a community a loving community of people that do not judge there's even a documentary i think called rocky horror saved my life i mean that's how that's how like in, that's how much impact and it had such humble beginnings and that's what we're that's what we're here to talk this is enough of a of an intro we're gonna go right into it so i was on facebook i'm into many rocky horror groups and i don't really like i said i don't really talk about rocky horror much on this channel why i mean no reason in particular but like rocky horror is as i said huge informed you know uh informed my childhood in just you know just sort of i mean it's everything it's literally it's got everything in it you know from sci-fi it you know a, another thing that that rocky horror is it's revolutionary in terms of it's almost like the first pop culture movie in a way and what i mean by that is you know rocky horror is like referencing all of these sci-fi and horror films that came before from the 30s all the way up to the 60s you know what i mean like even in science fiction double feature which i was just singing you know what i mean talking about like flash gordon and you know dr x and Faye Ray and the Invisible Man, you know, the day the earth stood still, all of these like these things, like everything that Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith and all these guys are going to do in the 90s. Rocky Horror was already doing that in the 70s. Like, that's how you have to think about it. That's how you have to wrap your mind around Rocky Horror. And it like you think about like what the plot is and like, you know, it's it's Old Dark House, which is a James Whale film. It's Old Dark House meets frankenstein meets flash gordon meets you know uh king kong like there's all these little elements that are actually thrown into the movie thank you we got a donation from uh kale td kale thank you so much for your support on this channel i really appreciate it i learned about flash gordon from the movie ted uh jody that is hilarious and you want to know something i'm not going to judge you because I think it's awesome. I mean, it's great that you know about Flash Gordon and that you didn't before. Now you do. So, you know, I mean, as as funny as as the, I see you did like a little emotion emoticon of of like laughing humor because it is it's hilarious that you would learn about something so epically classic from something so trivial. But that's how things happen. That's how it works, man. You know, I can't tell you how many things I learned about through The Simpsons, right? You know, um. Flash Gordon, but Flash Gordon, there you go. And Flash Gordon, that movie is also a cult film. 
yes, Eric, that is that's the with the Queen soundtrack exactly. Um, so you have like you have all these different like you have all these different elements. There's Hammer. It's almost like it's a Hammer film. It's a musical. It's got aliens. There's cannibalism. There's just so much going on, um, and it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So now I was in a Facebook group, right? And uh, somebody was talking about this guy was talking about the differences between Rocky Horror and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yeah. One last thing we should touch on. Dan, great point. Uh, I, you know, uh, Fat Mike, who has his own podcast, Fat Mike's Fat Mike. He had Lou Adler, the producer of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He produced the Roxy version and he produced he produced the Roxy Rocky Horror Show, which was in 1974 in L.A. And he also produced the movie. Sorry, I'm like burping like crazy because I'm drinking the seltzer. Um, And Fat Mike is like Fat Mike is I, I don't know if he's he's not like. He's he's just he's basically he's a transvestite crossdresser. I don't know. It's trans. Are you allowed to say transvestite anymore? I don't know if that's politically correct. Let's call him the crossdresser. And I apologize if that's the wrong label for you, Fat Mike. If anybody knows the the proper labels, please let me know. I'm not I'm not trying to be ignorant here. Um, but Dan says no effects opens a lot of their shows to time warp. Fat Mike is a huge fan and credits our Rocky Horror Picture Show for getting him into music. He recorded audio from the TV onto tape as a kid, and he also became more comfortable with wearing women's clothing because of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the whole idea of dream it, don't be it, because Richard O'Brien identifies as he is trans, right? He He's he's identified, you know, it's interesting. He said he's 30% male, 30% female, and 30% other, something like that. And um, he didn't mean for all of that stuff his queer identity to be so the queerness we'll call it queerness so much queerness to be injected into the movie but it just sort of boiled up that way and that's something that like a great example of people that have like had their lives changed rocky or fat mike you know like his life was changed from rocky horror like he felt more comfortable or you know it helped him to get over his you know fear of you know going out wearing a women's dress because he felt more comfortable that way angus says i got in trouble when i attended boarding school in tennessee when i saw rocky horror i snuck off campus to see it uh was put on major probation i bet you it was worth it yeah okay eric knows what i'm talking about he listened to that podcast he was so stoked he was he was so stoked to to um he he was he was very stoked very very stoked um I hit a pothole. What were we talking about? Ah, yes. So there are, there are, the play is different from the movie. And this guy was like really talking about it. And the more he was talking about it, I, I left a comment, something like, man, I wish there was some video footage. Like, you know, we always like talk about like how rare unreleased misfit stuff is. Like, I would love to see like video footage or more pictures from the original Rocky horror show from 1973. And you just, I mean, there, some of them exist and it really captures my imagination. If, you know, there are seldom events that I wish I could have like a time machine where I could like time travel. One of them would be to time travel back to 1973 and see an original showing of the Rocky horror show upstairs at the Royal hall court or whatever it was called. 
um, where they, they only had one microphone and they would like share the microphone and uh, the sets. And we're going to get just a little taste of that tonight in tonight's stream. I keep burying the lead here, but this guy, as it turns out, he has a website and this website is tremendous. I was like, this is the perfect website to do a Rocky horror picture show or Rocky horror picture show with this guy. I think his name is Matt or Mike Jabara. It's Jabara productions. And the website is called Oz Rocky I'm going to put that in the link in the box. If you guys want to explore it, definitely check it out. It's really, really cool. And we're just going to kind of go through some of this stuff, but here's what he said that just blew my mind just blew my mind, like blew my hair back. Um, the idea of the, the original script, you know, it's supposed to be a dilapidated theater that is being torn down. That's the original concept. And the usherette who's seeing science fiction double feature originally played by Patricia Quinn, who later, she also plays Magenta and she's also the lips. She's not singing, of course. She's just the lips. I did have the pleasure to meet her as well. And um, and the whole idea is that it is the sad fantasy of an usherette in a dilapidated theater that's soon to be torn down. And she's sort of imagining everything. And I had never thought about that before. And I guess that's the original concept of the Rocky Horror Show, which used to be called, before it was Rocky Horror, it had another name. They came from Denton High because the, the Brad and Janet, they're from Denton, Ohio, the home of happiness, which I don't think it's a real place. And they're traveling to see Dr. Everett Scott. The They met in his science examit, uh, which is, where, you know, where, where they met and yada, yada, yada. Um, I don't remember the rhyming couplet with with we met in his science examit. Something says something. Uh, but we're going to read and we're going to go through the original script and go look at look at over some of the stuff here. I'm very excited. Um, you know, there here's something that's really, really important to to mention. Kale, hold on. Kale has something to say. Kale says, sorry if you commented on this, but have you ever met Tim Curry? I have never met Tim Curry. And we haven't even begun to discuss the incredible person that Tim Curry is. Like one of the most magnetic actors who should have like a lifetime achievement Oscar who tragically was was uh, crippled to an a greatly crippled by a seizure. I believe he had a seizure and he has, you know, he's sort of he, he's not in a good he's not in a good way right now. It's really sad, man. Um, and his his acting, his acting career has really been sidelined because of it really makes me sad. Um, but Tim Curry is tremendous. And yes, there are many people that would go on to play Frankenfurter, but you know, I would say that there's seldom few, so many, there's seldom few actors that are so responsible for forging a role and making it what, what it is. And Tim Curry is that Dr. Frankenfurter. Dr. Frankenfurter would not be Dr. Frankenfurter without Tim Curry. Some would even argue that 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 there is no Dr. Frankenfutter without Tim Curry, but that's not true because so many different people have played Dr. Frankenfutter. I mean, literally thousands of people have played. He is a literary character at this point, Dr. Frankenfutter. But I would still say that never has an actor been so synonymous with a role. I mean, there's there's other ones, but 
I mean, he's probably at the top of the list. As a matter of fact, that would be a really good top 10 list to do with Bob Rose, putting that in the putting that in the old memory bank for later. Um, where was I? What were we talking about? We were talking about the oh, so success has many fathers. And what does that mean? It means that when something is a great success, all of the people that had a hand in the creation come out of the woodwork. Now, look, let's take a look at Batman for a minute. Everybody knows that Bob Kane created Batman. Bob Kane will be the first one to tell you. If you were peeing in a urinal and Bob Kane was 12 urinals over on one side, he would he would come over to you, pee next to you and say, hey, I'm Bob Kane. I invented Batman. But the reality is Bob Kane may have invented Batman, but it was Bill Finger who was really just as responsible, if not more responsible for giving, for fleshing out Batman and his mythology and making it what it was. And to that extent, even though Richard O'Brien wrote the music, he wrote the story. It is Richard O'Brien's. He's the story. He is the creator. There are so many other people that have helped shape Rocky horror into what it is. And while Richard O'Brien may be the mastermind behind it, there are many other mothers and fathers that make Rocky what it is. And we're going to talk a little bit about them right now. Jody says he is Batman. So first off, I think before we go into the actual thing, let's take a look at that. So you have many different, you, you have many, we have, we have many different, uh, oh God, I lost the thing here. Let's share the screen real quick. Let us share the screen real quick. Let us share this. How's by the way, how does my picture look? Am I like all framey or is everything like smooth like butter? And I have a feeling it's going to be smooth like butter because I turned off all the other Wi-Fi stuff in my house uh, in hopes that we wouldn't have any of these issues like we've had previously. There we go. Okay, there's our thing. Okay, so this is the website, but we want to get to, let me see if I can get to it. Nope, that's giving us problems. We don't want that. Oh, that is really annoying. Maybe if I do this, let's try this right here. I just feel like I'm doing PowerPoint lectures. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Oh, everybody's saying it's smooth. Looks good tonight. That's great. That makes me a happy boy. Yeah, it's the smooth from his. <laughs> Kale says, I can't believe it's not from his butter. And smooth like margarine. Smooth like margarine, not quite butter. Okay. Wait, there's one other one. Smooth from his picture show. I like that. I like that. You guys are funny. All right, so let, first we're going to check out Sue Blaine's costume. So Sue Blaine was the costume designer of Rocky Horror. She's responsible. Here, look at this. This is the original Rocky Horror costume design from 73. Look at that. That's that's what it looks like. This is uh, Frank, who is an alien. He's just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Above cost. Oh, sorry. These are. Costume redesigns for Philip Sayer, Tim Curry's first replacement 
at the King's Road in 1974. So the first person to play uh, Dr. Frankenfooter is Philip Sayre. And then below, these are sketches for the 1977 Norwegian cast. Okay, why did I think this was for the 73? But this is still Sue Blaine. Look, so look at all of these here. I'm going to make myself a little bit smaller so we can really look at these. How cool is this, man? So we have Magenta. Magenta's right here. She's the usherette. And then that's her in her getup. And that's her when she's ready to go back to her home planet. Same thing with Riff Raff. Riff Raff, uh, that's him in his surgical scrubs, right? And then there he is when he is uh, ready to go back to his planet as well. Brad and Janet right here. And they go through their transformations. And Brad is wearing a peace symbol. I think that's what he's wearing in the very original show from 73, something like that. And then here is Columbia right there. She's very punky, right? Uh, Eddie, look how cool Eddie looks, man. He's really like a Frank. Talk about Frankenstein. It's 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 amazing how again you have this like you have like the synergy of rock and roll Frankenstein meets Flash Gordon. So it's both, you know, Rocky Horror is obviously Frankenstein's monster, but so is Eddie. You know, I don't know. I just think it's so cool. And we have uh, Doctor Scott, Eddie's uh, uncle, who also is a Nazi, a secret Nazi in hiding. And here we have more. Oh, and this is this is Frank right here. So here's Frank. Frank goes through a lot of transformations, and of course, here's Rocky as the mummy in his mummy bandages. How they appeared in the program. So here's some more original costume designs. I just I love these costume designs, man. Really captures my imagination. Here we have them at the floor show in their uh in their get-ups and stuff. You can see a little nippage. That's cool. And then here, look at this. So here is I guess these are actual, these are this is so cool, man. Look at this. These are all of the characters from 1973, 1973, and 1974. 1974, that's the Roxy, Sydney 74, Melbourne 75, London 75, Oslo 77, Australia 81, and Australia. So the original show, show went all the way to 88. So it had a revival later on, but the original show ran for that long for thousands of performances. And then there's the narrator, obviously. So Jonathan Adams, he would play, he does play, and notice the movie is missing he would come back to play Dr. Everett Scott in, in, in Rocky Horror, the movie. But here he is in all of his incarnations as the narrator slash criminologist. Here's Janet, the original Janet. Damn it, Janet, all the way through. I love, I love seeing this man. I find this, I find this absolutely fascinating. And here's Brad. See, look, that's the original Brad from 73, man. So he did wear like the peace sign. He was he th that's like what Brad really looks like. He's not wearing what um Barry Boswick is wearing in uh in the in the whatchamacallit. And here we have Riff Raff, and there's there's Richard O'Brien, the writer of Rocky Horror. And the smart look at all the different Riff Raffs, man. I love them. That Riff Raff is the most interesting variations. Man, look at this guy. He's got a mallet. He's doing like a Gallagher thing. Um, oh God, I just I love I love I love seeing this stuff, man. Magenta, all the magentas we got going on. Columbia, little Nell, 
she was i mean she was she was in a bunch of stuff so a lot of people carried over from the original production in the movie and of course we have frank there's the guy who replaced frank but we have all the different franks there and his hair look his hair is originally blonde this is something i just learned as well so the final appearance of Frank, if you, there's somebody who's common, uh, who was on the set of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and was also with Lou Reed, and that is Mick Rock from the Spiders from Mars, from you know David Bowie's Spiders from Mars. And Mick Rock took pictures of Lou Reed and would later sort of use that look, this look of glammed up Lou Reed and fuse it into... Um, into Frankenfooter's final look in 1975. And of course, we have Rocky. Now, if you notice, Rocky, Peter Hinwood, who plays Rocky in the movie, his only credit, uh, and he does not like to be known as Rocky. He's kind of embarrassed. It's not something he likes to talk about or whatever. But you could imagine how he could literally eat off that role for the rest of his life. Um, but look at all the different Rockies. They're not very muscular. They're not like Peter Hinwood, at least. Um, it's interesting. And then Eddie, my favorite. There's Meatloaf as Eddie. Look at this guy. Eddie, man. Eddie is the coolest. Always with the leopard. And of course, here's okay. So this is Frank with the jacket, right? Jacket Frank. Um Dr. Scott. Now, later on, I don't believe it's oh no, it was always this way. So the role of Dr. Scott is always played by the same person who does Eddie. And that's probably for, you know, economic reasons. You know, it's like it's easier to not have to recast an actor who's supposed to be related to another character. You have two characters who are related playing the same guy, which also adds a, like a comedic element to it. And here we have again, here is the Frank Floor show, right? There we go with the with the mink stole and then riff raff in his space suit, right? which didn't really change that much. I mean, it's pretty much the same. All of them, I mean, the for the most part, magenta space suit, there you go. There you have it. Uh, the original London production used found items to produce the costumes. Frank's corset originally came from Lindsay Kemp's The Maids in 1971, uh, which was turned backwards and later decorated. Future productions used manufactured costumes based on the originals. Tim wore the same corset in the maids two years before he would wear it again as Frank. Interesting. And then here are motion picture costume sketches. Look at these. And that's that's for uh, the the uh, dinner dinner party. So cool, man! Beautiful art. Beautiful, beautiful art. I love it all. Okay, let us move on to. The next, oops, and the day she was born, do, 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 uh, he wanted, do, do. so that was Sue Blaine's costume. So Sue Blaine has a lot to do with the visual look, you know, uh, generally you have like a production designer, uh, but it seems like Brian Thompson who designed the sets and Sue Blaine who designed the costumes and, you know, everybody sort of like is compartmentalized, you know, and Jim Sharman, he's the director of the Rocky Horror Show. And he also came up with the name Rocky Horror Show, because as I said, it was originally called They Came From Denton High. 
And you know what else came from Denton High? Do you know what else came from Denton High? Let me tell you what. Stickers. That's what came from Denton High. We got stickers, riot stickers. And I got to tell you, uh, our sponsor, our sponsor himself, Sharpie Riot, is going to be on the show tomorrow night. We're going to be talking about May from 2002, phenomenal Frankenstein-esque film, cult film. You you gotta you absolutely gotta um, check that out. It's gonna be a lot of fun if you've never seen that movie. Ridestickers.com is our sponsor. We have a brand new promotion with Ride Stickers, and I'm unveiling it here for the first time. Link is in the comments. If you go to ridestickers.com backslash from us, we no longer have a promo code. You just go to ridestickers.com backslash from us. You can get a thousand stickers. Three inches by three inches, a thousand stickers for $79, normally retailing for $151. Do you know what kind of value that is? Look at these stickers. They're vinyl. You don't have to worry about them peeling off. They weather the elements well. I can't say enough good things about ridestickers.com. And now we have this brand new promotion, ridestickers.com backslash from us. Let's watch our little riot stickers video, which will give me a very quick seltzer break as my throat is parched. Let's do the time warp again. Do, 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 do. I said, let's. She don't want to call you. Boom, 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 boom. Sleeping on the telephone. And once in your life, you don't want to know you. Boom, 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 boom. How did you found? Doom, 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 doom. What did you bow? She is gone. And that's all the time. That it, oh, sorry. sorry. Um, <clears throat> so I believe that number was cut from Rocky Horror for a time. That's Once in a While, which is Brad's song after he bet gets banged by Frank or the other way around. Who knows? So this is Jim Sharman, right? He's from Australia. And he is the original director of the Rocky Horror Show. He directed all the original casts, as well as the movie and the sequel, Shock Treatment. And, um, yeah, dude. I mean, he's more of a theater director than he is a film director. But, you know, he's done both. 
And uh, I'm not going to sit here and read through his whole shebango, but I just wanted to quickly touch on, you know, the many different uh, parents of Rocky's success. And he knew, you know, he knew Richard O'Brien and he knew little uh, Nell Campbell, little Nell um, and all these people, you know, all these people sort of came together uh, for this. And here's some here is him. Here is he directing the Rocky Horror Picture Show in all of these different photos. You could say, oh, you can't see shit because I friggin' oh, excuse me. My B. There you go. So let me go back up real quick. So this is him. That's Jim right there, Jim Charman. And you can see here some stuff he's done. Summer of Secrets. Here's the Rocky Horror Picture Show that he is most famous for. Uh, truly uh, a singular legacy film. And, you know, this was shot at a, a Hammer Horror Castle. Hammer Pictures. Everybody knows Hammer Pictures. Look at all the... Here's Jim directing uh, Tim. And... There you go. Look at Peter Hinwood. Look at that dude. He's got he's got uh, abs that go literally for miles. The dude has abs. Um, here they are at the uh, at the at the the church set, and uh, here they are with the Transylvanians, the unconventional conventionists. Great photos. I literally could stare at Rocky Horror photos all day. It almost kind of me make it almost kind of makes me sad to like look at these behind the scenes photos because a part of me like when i watch rocky horror like i almost like watch it it's almost like real like it's hard to imagine that it was crafted and created it feels like its own organic breathing thing and then of course you have the set design and the set design is interesting because it's designed by this guy brian thompson here he is so he he and he is you know credited for you know the the all that stuff you know his next major design was the original london production of the rocky horror show as well as the productions in los angeles sydney new york uh oslo and touring productions in the uk usa australia and japan uh uh brian thompson's blue canvas cinema under demolition set turned virtually every theater or old cinema we played into a tent said jim Sharman. I feel like I still own a piece of that show, though, and I don't get anything in royalties anymore, he shrugs. Richard formed a company back in the 80s or 90s and completely just cut us out. Look, I said I said this without any hesitation that Jim Sharman, with help from me, created the Rocky Horror show to the point that Jim gave it the title. This is true. And Brian, Brian Thompson's very uh, resentful. He used to get royalty checks and the checks stopped coming. And, you know, it said that it said that, like, you know, very simply, you know, that that, you know, Richard O'Brien just decided one day that like, oh, hey, like, you know, I paid enough to this guy. And I'm not going to pay anymore, whether that's right or wrong. I personally think that it's wrong, but that's just me. I also don't, you know, it's none of my business, really. But um, yeah, I mean, that's just how how that how the cookie crumbles. But you can't it would be crazy not to credit brian thompson for his very important role as well as jim charman is their very important roles in and today it's really richard o'brien who is the face of rocky horror and he's very you know protective of his legacy in that kind of way understandably so um <clears throat> everybody else has sort of taken a, a back uh gone backstage in that kind of way so it's important to highlight everybody 
But this is really interesting. Ready? We're going to read this now. If you ask a fan of Rocky Horror what the story is all about, they will usually start with, there's this young couple called Brad and Janet. This answer is the result of decades of being removed from its source material. When I was told recently that I must be the only fan who cares more about the venue and the set than the play, it got me thinking. Suddenly, I got a break. All the pieces, all the pieces seemed to fit into place. What a sucker I'd been. What a fool. The answer was there all the time. Yes, the venue and the set are all important. The story is about a cinema under demolition where an usherette is still hanging around. She greets the audience with a song about her love of 50s sci-fi movies before playing out her fantasy using the cinema and herself as the maid. Once she's told her tale, she returns to being an usherette, only with the telltale signs that that what she's just shown you did sort of happen in a Wizard of Oz kind of way. I mean, that just blows me away, man. And it's so true when you think about how the usherette frames everything. Uh, Take the show out of the cinema, play down the usherette, remove the rubble, change the song order and the dialogue, and you get a story about a young couple. Not seeing the show play in its original form loses the point of the show. Some patrons thought that the inside of the cinema was just as is and have complained that there was no set. In most cases, the entire stage, including the proscenium—I can't pronounce that—proscenium—were uh, pro- built. The cinema's real stages and some of the seating area were behind a false front designed to look like a cinema stage and a screen, reducing the seating to around 600. Depending on the size of the auditorium, the set was scaled up or down. Melbourne had the largest set and the longest catwalk. Housed in an enormous movie palace, the set was upscaled to fit its width. The platform with the Coke machine was up four stairs on the left, and the scaffolding holding the lab ran down the right side. The band had their own area above and behind the Coke area. Now, in the original play, Eddie is not in a freezer. He's in the Coke machine, and he pops out of the Coke machine, sings his number, and goes back in. I don't even think he gets pickaxed. I'm trying to remember. I don't think he does. The Roxy had the smallest version of the set. Being a nightclub and not a cinema, it had a much lower ceiling and was half the width. With only one door, the ramp couldn't be completed until everyone was seated at tables and chairs. Because the room is so narrow, both the Coke machine and the lab are housed as one. And no hospital bed, all on the left platform. The band took up the right side and the ramp had to be off the center. The canvas partially covered the interior where where in Australia it entombed the audience. Okay. And then this dude has done us the coolest service in the world. Look at this. He has, I don't know what he did. I guess he put this together himself. He has reproduced what each of the sets looked like. So here is where Rocky Horror was born. This is what the set looked like. I know it's small. We can't really see. There's the Coke machine right there. I don't know if you can see my little mouse right here. And then over here is the lab. There's the scaffolding. The band would be behind there. And there's where the floor show would happen. And that was it. And then when the play 
when the play got bigger halfway through its original run, the, they moved it from the theater upstairs in the Royal court to the Chelsea classic cinema. And that's this one right here. And as you can see, it's a little bit more elaborate. Again, I would kill. I would literally give a pinky toe. If you said, Jeff, if you amputate a pinky toe, you could see the original production of the Rocky Horror Show. I would say, sure, I would do it. I would do it. I, you know, you don't feel like pinky toes. They're overrated. Uh, get, you can have my what? What would you want with my pinky toe? I don't know, but I'll give it to you if. I could go and see the Rocky Horror Show at the original, in its original incarnation. Um, and then it moved to the King's Road Theater in London in 1973. So things got bigger. Look at this. I mean, that is so cool, man. How this guy put this together. I like, I, I truly, there's like the lab set right there. It is awesome. But the whole idea is that it is, it's not under, it's not under construction. It's that it's going to be demolished. I mean, that is so cool. Here's the Roxy. This is the smallest set of all right here. And everything's been consolidated. The Coke machine and whatnot. And then here we go. And the Japan one. This is the broad one. So this is the last time that Frankenfooter. This is the last time that Tim Curry played Frankenfooter. After the movie was shot, they did Broadway in 75. And that's what it looked like. That was his last. There's recordings of that. You can hear him. You hear the recordings, but there's no video. And this is the way it looked like um, at the end in 88. And then here are some variations, right? Here's some set variations. I wouldn't even be able to tell you the difference. The Here's the original concept model right here. This is so cool, man. I, I just, I love this stuff. All right. So that's the set, right? Um, here is international productions. So check it out. Look at this. These are all the different productions all the way up till 88. How cool is that, man? These are productions that didn't use the cinema under demolition original concept with the with reimagined direction sets. Look at Brazil, 1975. Let's see what that looked like. Whoa, man. Look at that. Look at those costumes. You have a werewolf dude. So different. Oh, I love the interpretation, man. I probably could spend hours just looking at <laughs> all these different costumes. Let's look at the Japan one. What is the Japan one like? I bet that one's crazy. Um, I'll be honest, man. I think these ones are cooler because here, Trinidad. Dude. Look at the love, the love and care that went into this, man. Whoever made this site, this guy, I forget his name. I that that is look at this version of the Rocky Horror Show. Trinidad Rocky Horror Picture Show. My goodness. Let's keep go. Let's keep looking. Um, where's the J J J J J J J Japanese one? Um, <clears throat> where's Japan? I want to see Japan. I think that would be, here we go. Japan tour. Let's see what that one looks like. Hmm. 
I mean, that's like, you know, in a weird way, just in the way that you have Shakespeare, you know, it almost kind of makes it look there. I think that's Richard O'Brien right there. It almost kind of makes you want to like see everybody like, you know, do, you know, do, like, like uh, adapt it for whatever the, the culture is. That's what I really want to see. I, this isn't as interesting as I thought it would be. Um, still amazing though still friggin amazing dude i guess the the ones that you really want to see let's take a look at let's go back to these ones these are the unconventional productions um canada's probably let's see what belgium looks like belgium might be interesting um meh. so cool that it look he's got a hook hand see that's what i'm saying Th there's there's your like variation yeah look at this that is pretty interesting huh how about that all right i think we should just do what we set out to do in the first place let's take a look at the because i probably could literally do this for hours I'll tell you, there are a lot of famous people have been, or a lot of notable people. Like, for instance, Russell Crowe, he got his start as Rocky. Not Rocky. He was uh, Eddie in, I think, 1988, towards the end. Here we go. Well, this is just, I mean, what a great archival site. And this, again, this is not devoted to the movie. It's devoted to the play. Let's go to the play now. It's time. So this is how the original play runs. It's right here. We saw the set design. We saw everything. This is the original script. And now what he's done is he has taken um, stills, all sorts of stills from all over the place, and painstakingly tried to recreate uh, what it is. Special thank you to Gibson D... I can't say that last name. Del... Del Guidus for supplying the place transcript. The audio on this page is not the actual cast recording. You can check that out. If you really want to see what Rocky Horror was before any other influence, all you got to do is look for the original recording, right? The original cast recording from London, which is right here. This LP, I think best represents Rocky Horror without any of the iconic actors or before we what we know from seeing the movie so many times. That right there, it's all on this cover, and everything's represented there, and it's it's great, man. And you know, some of the arrangements are different than. The film and the same thing with the Roxy cast too from 74, particularly uh damn it, Janet starts out with like you beat the other bride to the bride brigade, do 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 the river da, 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 slam it, Janet, something like that. But in any case, I'd like to tell you a story, if I may. It's right here. Okay. Okay. Um Unless you were there, it is almost impossible to imagine how the Rocky Horror Show was presented in 1974. 
The many new interpretations, as well as decades of the motion picture, have all but erased the original intentions and mode of the original work. I will attempt to remedy this by explaining the entire show. The venue is all important. A single-level cinema on the verge of being condemned in a seedy area, the big loss of opulence, the more impacting the effect. Rocky Horror is about a loss of innocence. It's not just about a loss of innocence. It's also about like, it's a, it's a, it's an awakening. It's a, it's a revolution. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a sexual revolution. It's a revolution of identity, you know? Um, so it's, it's way more than just the loss of innocence, in my opinion, at least. Uh, the decaying movie house providing the sense of losing the past and the immediate recognition that this show is about movies. The dilapidated facade is papered with half-torn Rocky, po Rocky Horror posters. The lobby is papered with old horror movie posters, a jukebox and a pinball machine, uh, as well as jukeboxes and pinball machines. Uh, signs on the wall carry apologies for the inconvenience caused during demolition. Once inside the auditorium, you see the entire interior has been covered in dark blue canvas stenciled with Acme Demolition Company. Scaffolding runs both sidewalls, finishing at rised platforms at the sides of the stage. The one at the left has a ladder running from the stage to the platform where an old Coca-Cola chest style fridge is sitting with the black curtain blocking any view of what may lie behind the center aisle. Um, the center aisle is also blocked by a catwalk running from one of the back doors and meeting at the center of the stage. The scaffolding platform on the right are also accessed by ladder supports the lab. The lab consists of a hospital bed with neon tubes in rows behind it, as well as the test tubes and chemical flasks filled with colored liquids arranged in the front of the neon. Until the scene that uses the lab, it is hidden behind a shabby stained curtain resembling a painter's drop cloth. The audience is faced at a proscenium and red velvet curtains. The room is very dimly lit, and what can be seen is decaying, cracked, or missing. A lifeless arm can be seen hanging through a large crack in the ceilings. Plasterwork and collapsed chairs are stacked underneath the scaffolding for all appearances, this is a room mid-demolition. A string of bare bulbs run from a front corner to the opposite rear corner. Uh, as the theater is a cinema, the amount of room behind the screen is a bearing on the set's layout. If there is enough space, the band can perform from behind the movie screen, and the right-hand side scaffolding platform area can hold the Coke fridge. Behind the screen is a curved ladder that forms an arc and also a set of colored lights making a rainbow. The screen is a gauze, fine enough to see through when lit from behind. Three ushers, badly dressed in moth-eaten suits and clean plastic face masks, mannequins, in the same costumes. Sorry, I lost my place. Uh, oh, I lost my place. Mannequins in the same costumes are positioned randomly against the walls and poles, menacing patron, patrons by standing and staring at them or sitting in empty seat next to them till they notice and yelp with fright. At one point, one of them begins vacuuming the threadbare carpet amidst the screams and laughs. The band take, uh, 
band begin taking their places in an area off to one side amongst the scaffolding, which is hardly noticed. Riffraff, Columbia, and Eddie, Dr. Scott are the disguised ushers, and they approach the stage as the lights dim. There's a scream, and the curtains open to reveal an usherette sitting on a black square block in the center of the stage with the cinema screen behind her. She is covered with white gauze, lit only by a torchlight from her ice cream tray. The three ushers move towards her, and her sign says, Strawberry Time. They turn to the audience and yell, glad you could come tonight. As they remove the veil, a spotlight hits the usherette and she starts to sing. I'm not going to sing it again, but she sings science fiction. Here she is with her strawberry time tray and she's imagining everything that we're about to see. Right. And here's some movie posters. I, this is just done so well. The piano plays the sound of wedding bells, Brad and Janet ladder. The latter carrying a bouquet run on as the lights come up. The three ushers throw confetti over them and then climb to the laboratory or Coke machine to sing the word Janet in the next song. Brad and Janet are both breathless. Oh, Brad, wasn't it wonderful? Didn't Betty look radiantly beautiful? I can't believe it. Just an hour ago, she was playing old Betty Moreau and now she's Mrs. Ralph Hapchat. Yes, Janet, Ralph's a lucky guy. Everyone knows Betty's a wonderful little cook. Yeah. Oh, shit. I messed it up. Janet, yes. Everyone knows Betty's a wonderful little cook. Cook, yes. And Ralph himself is in line for a promotion a year or two. Yes. Brad takes the microphone and he begins singing, Hey, Janet, I've got something to say. I really love the skillful way. You beat the other girls to the brown bouquet. And then they sing the song. There's three ways that love can Here's a ring to prove that I'm no joker. There's three ways that love can grow. That's good, bad, or mediocre. Oh, J-A-N-E-T, I love you so. Uh-oh. It's nicer than Betty Monroe had. Oh, Brad, <laughs> we're engaged and I'm so glad. Oh, Brad, now that you met mom and you know dad. Oh, Brad, that's what they just say. And that's Brad. I'm mad for you. I could, man, I could watch this right now. So they sing the song. There's a blackout during which Janet and Brad sit one cheek each on the black box. A spotlight picks up the narrator narrator the criminologist who's been sitting in the front row he walks up onto the stage and with his back turned to the audience opens a secret door in the proscenium he makes a creaking sound as he slowly opens the door inside are shelves on one shelf is a large book he takes the book and turns to the audience he blows a cloud of dust from the book over the front rows and opens the book <laughs> i would like if I may, to take you on a strange journey. It seemed a very old, a fairly ordinary night when Brad Majors and his fiancée, Janet Weiss, two young, ordinary, healthy kids, left Denton that late November evening to visit a Dr. Everett Scott, ex-science tutor and now friend to both of them. It's true that there were dark storm clouds, heavy, black, pendulous, 
towards which they were driving. And it's true that the spare tire that they were carrying was badly in need of some air. But they, being normal kids and on a night out, well, they were not going to let a storm spoil the events of their evening. On a night out, it was a night out they were going to remember for a very long time. <laughs> a spotlight picks up Brad and Janet sitting on the box, miming a car journey. So they're, you know, doing the mime thing. They're, they're driving. Uh, Brad is driving with his left hand whilst his right hand is imitating a windscreen wiper. Janet's left hand lies across her like a seatbelt, and her right arm is also imitating a windscreen wiper. The ushers make the sound of the car and the blowout when it comes vocally. It is a stormy night, and flashes of light are seen. The car stops. Hmm. What's the matter, Brad, darling? I think we took a wrong fork a few miles back there. We better go up ahead. We better go up ahead on the road and see if we can find our way back. Janet and Brad move straight down center stage and stop on the edge of the stage. There's a blowout. They sway as if the brakes have been slammed on. Oh, darn, Janet. What is? Th what was that bang? Brad getting out of the car. We seem to have had a blowout in the front left-hand tire. Oh. You'd better stay here and keep warm while I go for help. But where will you go? We're in the middle of nowhere. Didn't we pass a castle back down the road a few miles? Maybe they have a telephone I might use. I'm coming with you, she gets out. Riffraff makes his way onto a ladder and climbs it. There's no point in any of us getting... There's no point in both of us getting wet. <laughs> I'm coming with you. Besides, darling, the owner of that phone might be a beautiful woman. And then you may never come back. <laughs> the ushers take up the laughter. Janet picks up the microphone. And then we get over in the Frankenstein place. And here's a picture of over at the Frankenstein place. Oh, man, that is beautiful. <clears throat> I'm not going to. I can't. In the velvet darkness of the blackest night, burning bright, there's a guiding star. No matter what, who you are, who you are, there's a light. Over at the freaking stop place, there's... And then, of course, the best part is riffraff. Um, the darkness must go down the river of night streaming. Flow, Morphia, slow. Let the sun and light come streaming into my life into my life and then you know it goes on and goes on there's a so they're saying there's a light there's a light right <clears throat> lightning is seen janet seems scared it's all right janet oh brad let's go back i'm cold and i'm frightened just a moment janet they might have a phone brad pulls a cord 
by the red velvets as though it is a bell pull. He turns to Janet and the bell rings behind his back. After some time, the door curtain opens far right. Hello. Oh, uh, hi. Hi there. We're, uh, we're both in a bit of a spot. I was wondering if you could help us. Our, our car is broken down about two miles back. Do you have a telephone we might use? You're wet. Yes, it's been rain. The rain has been very heavy. Yes. Yes. Crack, lightning, thunder and lightning. I think you better both come inside. You're too kind. Brad and Janet go in around the back of the screen to the other side of the stage. Riffraff smiles and exits after them. There's a blackout. The spotlight comes up to the narrator. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <clears throat> and so, after braving the inclement weather and some not too little and, and some not too little time, it seemed that fortune had smiled on Brad and Janet and that they had found the assistance their plight required. Or had they? There was certainly something about this house to which a flat tire and a wet night had brought them that made them both feel apprehensive and uneasy. But if they were to reach their destination that night, they would have to ignore such feelings and take advantage of whatever help was offered. Riffraff leads Brad and Janet on from the left. They look around. Riffraff wants, uh, walks to the other side of the stage, stops and turns. Wait here. Uh, Janet looking around. Oh, Brad, what sort of place is this? I'm frightened. It's probably some sort of hunting lodge for rich weirdos. But you're shivering. Yes, I'm wet. Brad crossing to the box. Look, feel this. There's hot air coming from this grill in the wall. Take off your sweater and dry it here. I'll keep a lookout for that undertaker. Oh! For God's sake, keep a grip on yourself, Janet. I'm here. There's nothing to worry about. Janet smiles. Here, dry my coat, too. Okay. Riffraff, Columbia, and Magenta. Ah! It's all right, Janet. It's all right, Janet. Master! That's Riffraff, Columbia, and Magenta together. A loud bang is heard from the back of the cinema. This is so cool. Look at these pictures, man. I've never seen that picture of, of Frank. Wow. A loud bang is heard from the back of the cinema, and a rear door is flung open, and a cloaked figure struts out onto the catwalk. Could you imagine being in that audience and seeing that for the first time? There's a scene in Mr. Holland's Opus, which is a great movie with, um, what's his face? Uh, Richard Dreyfus from 1996. And you get a, a brief shot of Frank flipping open his uh, curtain to reveal his like corset and his uh, tidy whities and whatnot and uh, fishnets. And it's just like, it really is such a historic moment in art and entertainment and all of those things together. So Frank comes down and he sings. <clears throat> How do you do, I? See, you met my faithful handyman. He's a little brought down, because when you knocked, he thought you were the candyman. Don't get strung out. By the way I look, 
Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Let me show you around, maybe play you a sound. You look like you're both pretty groovy. If you want something visual that's not too abysmal, we could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. Um, Brad, glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. We'll just say where we are and then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Frank bellows next to his verse, sending Brad reeling back. Look at this. You can almost get a sense. You can almost get a sense for what it is with all these pictures. What a service this is. <clears throat> you got caught with the flat. Well, how about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Why don't you stay for the night? Night. Or maybe a bite. A bite. I could show you my favorite obsession. I've been making a man with a blonde hair and a tan, and he's good for relieving my tension. I'm just a sweet transvestite, blah, 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 blah. So come on up to the lab, and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with antisip. Somebody say it. All right, I'm not going to wait. Patient, but maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> but not the symptom. <laughs> uh, the servants, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, the servants start to undress Brad and Janet riffraff attending to Brad and the girls to Janet, Brad and Janet are reduced to their 1950s underwear. Um, it's all right, Janet, everything's going to be all right. We'll just, we'll just play along for now and we'll pull out the aces when the time is right. This is no time for card tricks, Brad. Are you sure we'll be all right? I'm sure Janet to Columbia, Magenta and riffraff. Uh, hi there. I'm, uh, Brad Majors, and this is Janet Weiss, my fiance. You are Columbia. You're very <clears throat> wait. Let me see if I can do a good Columbia. You're very lucky. You're very. I can't do it. I ah oh, man. You're very lucky to be invited up to Frank's laboratory. A lot of people would give their right arm for the privilege. People like you, maybe. Ha! Huh, I've seen it. Look at this. This is the original. I guess this is the original. Oh, here. That's for sure. That's an original picture. <laughs> um, wow. Janet. Is he? Is Frank your husband? 
The master is not yet married, nor do I think he ever will be. We are simply his servants. Then he's very lucky. Yeah, you're lucky. I'm lucky. He's lucky. We're all lucky. All except for Eddie. Shh. Eddie. The delivery boy. No, the delivery boy. Shh. Yeah, see, they mention Eddie. In, in the movie, they don't really mention Eddie, but in the play, they Eddie is foreshadowed a whole bunch. <clears throat> Columbia says, his delivery wasn't good enough. The master only wanted to help the boy better his position. Well, that's very commendable. Brad slaps Riffraff on the back. Dust flies. Riffraff hides his black anger. Oy. Yes, it seems only yesterday since he went. Where? To Paces. And then it goes right into the time warp. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely, not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. I remember doing the time warp, drinking those moments when the blacks would hit me and the void would be calling. Okay, let's just go to it. Hold on. Wait, just a second. <clears throat> it's just a jump to the left. And then a step to the right. Put your hands on your hips and bend your knees in tight. And it's pelvic thrust. I really drop the insane. Let's do okay. All right, let's let's keep this going. We're gonna be here all night. But look, you can see all the different versions. The lights come up as Frank appears dressed in green surgical coat and pulling on surgical rubber gloves. Uh, Frank speaks, unlock a mind, unmind a lock. It's the same as the beginning of the end. Do you follow? No. It's an, ana it's an anagram, Janet. I wonder, may I offer you something refreshing? Brad and Janet together. No, Frank. No, you're right. I won't. How delightful to have fresh faces around to entertain. Uh, Brad Majors. Brad Majors. And this is my fiance, Janet Weiss. 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 Frank kisses Janet's hand and looks and looking repulsed. Enchanté. How nice. And what charming underclothes you both have. But here, put these on. A hand holds out two white cloaks. Frank gives the coat to Janet and Brad. It'll make you feel less vulnerable. We don't often receive visitors here, let alone show them such hospitality. Hospitality? All we wanted to do was use your phone, a reasonable request which you have chosen to ignore. Oh, don't be ungrateful, Brad. Ungrateful? <laughs> How forceful you are, Brad. What a perfect example of manhood. So dominant. You must be very proud of him, Janet. Yes. Mm, tell me, Brad, do you have any tattoos? Certainly not. Oh, well. Mm, how about you, Janet? Um, 
Master, everything is in readiness, Master. We merely wait for you to give the word. This is riffraff. He pokes his head out, blah, 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 that whole thing. Tonight, Brad, Janet, paradise is to be mine. Oh, how wonderful for you. It was strange the way it happened. One of those quirks of fate, really. One of those moments when everything looks black. The chips are down. Your back is against the wall. He backs up to the screen. You panic. You're trapped. There's no way out. And even if there was, it would probably be a one-way ticket to the bottom of the bay. And then suddenly you get a break. All of the pieces seem to fit into place. What a sucker you've been. What a fool. The answer was there all the time. It took a small accident to make it happen. Everyone looks at Frank in blank amazement. An accident. An accident. That's how I discovered the secret. That elusive ingredient. That spark. That spark. That is the breath of life itself. Yes. <laughs> I have that knowledge. I hold the key to life itself. You see, Brad and Janet, you are fortunate for tonight is the night my beautiful creature is destined to be born. <clears throat> to riffraff. Throw open the switches on the sonic oscillator and then step up the power, re the reactor power input. Three more points. Frank climbs to the uh, laboratory. Riffraff pulls back the curtain to reveal Rocky lying the mummy on the Coca-Cola fridge. Lights flash and the band plays an uneasy chord that grows and grows. Rocky sits up and then stands up. Riffraff and Frank tear the bandages off. Look, and there, there you have it. That's how it used to be, right? So he used to be on top of the Coca-Cola machine and he'd get up, they'd rip off things and then he'd jump into a song and there he is. Brad! It's all right, Janet. And they go into one of the best songs, one of my favorite songs, uh, the sword of the sword of the sword of the sword of Damocles is hanging over my head, and I got the feeling someone's gonna be cutting the thread. Oh, woe is me, my life is a mystery. Oh, oh god, it's such a good song. <clears throat> I woke up this morning when I started, fell out of bed. That ain't no crap. So good. And then halfway through, so in the original version, there's a breakdown where the narrator comes and goes, Rocky Horror, you need a peace of mind. I want to tell you that you're doing just fine. You're the product of another time. So feeling low, well, that's no crime. That ain't no crime. Boom, 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 boom. That ain't no crime. La, 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 la. So there's Rocky, right? But that's a later Rocky. That's not the same Rocky, I don't think. Um, <clears throat> so, and Rocky actually speaks in in the original version. Oh, well, really, that's no way to behave on your first day out, um, Rocky. I don't even know how to do Rocky because, all right, I'm gonna just going to do Sylvester Stallone. Hey, well, uh, nobody's perfect. But I do think you made a pretty good job of the body work. 
You really are the result of many hours of toil. And now, my beautiful creature, you're ready for the ultimate test. Oh, dear. But first, meet the family, Magenta, Rocky. Hello, Rocky. Hello, Magenta. Hello, Magenta. Riffraff, Rocky. Hello, Rocky. Hey, yo, Riffraff, hello. Frank, Columbia, Rocky. Hello, Rocky. Hey, yo, hey, hello, Columbia. Frank, scowling at Columbia. Well, Brad and Janet, what do you think? I don't like men with too many muscles. I didn't make him for you. He carries the Charles Atlas seal of approval. And then we get the Charles Atlas song. A weakling weighing 98 pounds will get sand in his face when kicked to the ground. Right. Uh, and this is the original advertisement. I'll prove in only seven days that I can make you a man. And that's how he wrote the song originally. And then that, look, there's, okay, so, oh man, look at this. I don't know which Eddie that is, but there's Meatloaf as Eddie. So awesome. The cast freeze in an animated tableau. Eddie appears from the machine. He is uh, battered and shows the occasional seam. He is wearing extremely thick crepe shoes, crepe sold shoes, black drain pipes, skin tight, uh, drape coat or leather jacket. He has a hint of Frankenstein's monster. He grabs the microphone from Columbia. They all grab, they all share the microphone. So he grabs the microphone from Columbia and we sings and sings, whatever happened to Saturday night, which is just the greatest song ever. Hop to the bless my soul. But, Look at the pictures of him. I guess he does pickaxe him in the Coca-Cola machine. I was wrong. So great. So friggin' awesome. Um, oh, God. I love it. I really, really love it. So um, Frank chases Eddie back to the Coke machine and stabs him to death with the microphone stand. He stuffs Eddie back in the machine, slams the lid shut, and six and sits on it. One from the vaults. Hey, how can you keep him around? He's so ugly. A certain naive charm, but no muscle. We had a mental relationship. And then we go into the Charles Atlas song, right? And that's when he takes him. He takes him to, and you know, in just seven days, I can make you man. In seven days, God created, you know, the earth and everything in the original biblical uh, creation story. So all that is is the, but it takes a whole new twist when you consider that this is a relationship between two men and the Christian Bible and what you know some believe from the Christian Bible, not all Christians, but some Christians, um, depending on your, <laughs> yeah. It was a mercy killing. Oh, Rocky. It was a mercy killing. I really love that rock and roll. Exactly. Um. So, yeah, and he beds Rocky. Hey, yo, he gets bed, right? Uh, the narrator. <clears throat> there are those who say that life is an illusion. And reality, as we know it, is merely a figment of our imaginations. 
If this is so, Brad and Janet are quite safe. But there are some who have a far more physical philosophy. Those who would stop at nothing to satisfy their base desires. It could be that Brad and Janet are among those who hold the devil's reins. We are in Janet's room. The voices we hear in the blackout, we take those to be of Janet and Brad. Oh, Brad! Oh, yes! Yes, my darling! What if... A light comes on, revealing in silhouette a man lying on top of a woman. It's all right, Janet. Everything's going to be all right. Oh, I hope so, my darling. I'm so free. The short man's wig comes off. You! <laughs> I'm afraid so, Janet. But wasn't it nice? You beast! You monster! What have you done with Brad? <laughs> Nothing. Why? Do you think I should? You tricked me! I never! I, I wouldn't have! I never, never! I know, but it wasn't all bad, was it? Not even really half bad. In fact, I think perhaps you found it quite pleasurable. Mm. <laughs> so soft, so sensual. Oh, no, stop it! I mean, help! I mean, Brad! Oh, Brad! Shh! Brad's probably asleep by now. Do you want him to see you like this? Like this? Like how? It's your fault! You're to blame! I was... Saving myself. Well, I'm sure you're not spent yet. And it was an enjoyable experience, was it not? The lights dim. You did like it, didn't you? There's no crime into giving yourself over to pleasure, is there? We could try for an action replay. Oh, Janet, you've wasted so much time already. Brad needn't know. I wouldn't tell him. <laughs> There's a blackout. Are you sure you won't tell him? Oh! <laughs> um, we are in Brad's room. The voices we hear in the blackout, we take that to be the, those of Brad and Janet. Janet. Oh, Brad, you, yes, yes, my darling! Um, it's all right, Janet. Everything's gonna be all right. I hope so, my darling. You! Oh, I'm afraid so, Brad. But wasn't it nice? Why, you? Why, what have you done with Janet? Mm, nothing. What do you think I should? You tricked me. I wouldn't have. I've never, never. Mm, I know. But it wasn't all bad, was it? Not really even half bad. In fact, I, I think you found it quite pleasurable. Mm, oh, so soft, so sensual. Uh, no, stop. I mean, Janet. Oh, Janet. Shh. Mm, Janet's probably asleep by now. Do you want her to see you like this? Like this? Like how? It's your fault. You're to blame. I thought this was the real thing. Oh, oh come on, Brad. Admit it. It was enjoyable, wasn't it? You liked it, didn't you? There's no crime in giving yourself over to pleasure, is there? We could try for an action replay. Oh, Brad, you've wasted so much time already. Janet needn't know, and I wouldn't tell her. Mm -hmm. huh. Are you sure you won't tell her? Oh, um, Master, the laboratory is empty. Rocky has vanished. The new playmate is loose somewhere in the building. Oh, wow. What's mm, oh, coming? 
The lights come up on the laboratory. Janet enters the stage arena. What's happened here? Where's Brad? Where's anybody? If only we hadn't made this journey. If only the car hadn't broken down. If only we were among friends or sane persons. The narrator enters. If and only two small words that keep repeating themselves again and again in Janet's thoughts. Uh, but it was too late to go back now. It was as if she were riding a giant tidal wave. It would be folly to fight against it. Her only choice would be to ride it out, adapt, and perhaps also survive. <clears throat> Janet wanders towards the laboratory. The curtain is pulled back to be pulled back by Rocky. They both jump. Oh, uh, hey, it's you. Look, I'm uh, trying to hide from my creator and his minion. They uh, they scare me. I feel that all is not well here. I've been thinking a lot about uh, Eddie. I have a feeling of foreboding. It's, it's all like some terrible dream. Is it uh, true you don't like uh, men with too many muscles? Well. Hey, uh, have you got any lip gloss? Janet trying to work it out. <clears throat> I'm engaged to Brad, just the same as Betty Monroe was to Ralph Hapshat. But Frank's kisses overwhelm me with a ecstasy that I never dreamed of before. Hot burning kisses. I could see Brad's face before me. My mind screamed, no! But my lips were hungry, too hungry. I wanted to be loved, loved completely. Oh, Brad, Brad, my darling, how could I have done this to you? Hey, uh, hey, yo, this room is a womb to me. What a fucked up thing to say. This room is a womb to me, because that's where he was born. Yes. There, you see, it's instinctive. You returned here for one thing, security. Oh, where's Brad? She fiddles with the TV monitor. Then the monitor can be, uh, oh, sorry. The TV monitor can be a pretend remote switch which seems to throw slides onto the gauze screen, or it can be an old TV set, blah, 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 blah. What have they done with him? Janet's feelings ran wild as she frantically manipulated the selector switch on the TV monitor. The screen threw up images of empty rooms and corridors. Finally, she stopped at Frank's bedroom. She sees Frank kissing Brad. Oh, uh, you can't rely on anyone. Oh, Brad, how could you? Meanwhile, she literally just did the same thing, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. This is this is me. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Sylvester Stallone and Miss Piggy as uh, Rocky and Janet. You never, who would have thought? Who would have thought? <clears throat> um. If one is suffering the pangs of remorse for a sexual indiscretion, it would seem logical that the transgressor would be sympathetic towards a loved one caught committing a similar misdemeanor. But emotion is an irrational and powerful master. And from what Janet witnessed on the monitor, there seemed to be little doubt that she was indeed its slave. Tell us about it, Jenny. So then we go into touch a touch me. I'm not going to sing touchy touch me. Touch. I'm not going to sing it. Da, 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 da. 
it's me. Um, the lights come. So they're banging, right? Uh, the lights come up on the stage as Frank is chasing Rip Riff Raff and whipping him. Frank has a rocker's leather jacket all over his fishnets. Brad follows, and the narrator is already on the stage, right? Ah, mercy, Frank whipping him. How did it happen? I understood you were to be watching. It was, I was only away for a minute. I was only away for a moment. See if you can find him on the monitor. I have located him in the female's quarters, master. Rocky! He's about to faint, but it seems no one is around to catch him. Frank composes himself, calls Riff Raff over, and faints in his arms, Riff Raff catching him just in time. That's a gag that we don't get in the movie at all. So it's like there is some stuff that gets lost in translation. Brad, Janet, how could she? That's it. It's over. Narrator, over. What was over? What was over? Not the night. That was certain. Brad and Janet's engagement, their love for one another. Who could say for questions such as these are not to be answered by the academic, they must be left for the heart to, heart to solve. And Brad, you may be sure, had plenty of heart. So this is Brad's uh, Jilted Lover song, which is one of my favorites and is totally absent from the movie, really. But it, once in a while, she don't want to call you. Boom, 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 boom. Speaking on the telephone, and once in your life, she won't want to know you. Boom, 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 boom. The one you found, doom, 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 doom. The one you found, she is gone. All right, so baby, don't cry like there's no tomorrow. After the night, there's a brand new day, and there'll be no pain and no more sorrow. Doom, 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 doom. So wash your face, boom, 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 and for my place, it will be okay. So now Scotty arrives. That's uh, Dr. Everett Scott, right? Um, Frank, <clears throat> jumping to his feet, how maudlin, how pathetic your baggage has dared to defile. My beautiful creature, oh, Rocky, how could you? Master, we have a visitor. Great Scott, Scotty, Dr. Everett Scott. You know this earth, this person? Yes, yes, I do. He's an old friend of mine. Frank, turning to Brad. I see. So it wasn't simply a chance meeting. You came here with a purpose. Uh, that's not true. My car broke down. I told you. I know what you told me, Brad. But this Dr. Everett Scott, his name is not unknown to me. He was a science teacher at Denton High. And now he works for your government, doesn't he, Brad? He's attached to the Bureau of the Investigation of what you call UFOs. That's right. Isn't it, Brad? <clears throat> Brad, mm, mm, he might. He might be. I don't know. 
a figure in a wheelchair crosses us from right to left. No one sees him. The intruder has entered the building, master. Ah, he's in the Zen room. Seal off the exits and all the doors, except for those that lead here. Riffraff, bring Rocky and Janet here. I think we should make this a social occasion. The three unexpected guests shall entertain us with a floor show, which I shall direct. So we don't get the, the dinner scene is gone, which is like so great. Um, and I guess I forgot. We don't get Eddie's Teddy. There's no Eddie's Teddy. That came later. Um, and that's when we learned that that Dr. Scott is Eddie's uncle, I guess. Um, Kale says that once in a while could make your 13 songs about love and heartbreak part two playlist. Kale, you are so right. It's so egregiously left off that that love song playlist. I, I did a song about 13 songs about love and heartbreak and stuff, and that absolutely could have been a, one of them. We, we'll, we'll we'll honor it's there is a playlist i'm gonna add it you know what kale i'm gonna add it to my playlist just for you it's getting put on the playlist check it out it's on spotify so we skip the whole dinner scene and in the movie that's when we see that meatloaf who by the way none of them who were sitting at the table knew that the body was going to be under there only tim curry was aware so everybody's reaction is genuine and that brings us into planet schmanet right um. <clears throat> uh. So what happens? So they're gonna do. Uh, they're gonna do a floor show that will be directed by uh by Frank. Riffraff exits. Doctor Scott in a wheelchair, pushed by Columbia, enters. Uh, the left side of the stage. Riffraff enters the laboratory, and Magenta comes on stage. Columbia. Hi ho, Silva. Doctor Scott. Brad. Brad. What are you doing here? I, I can't do a good German accent. I could try. Let me see. Don't play games, Dr. Scott. It was part of your plan, was it not? That Brad Majors and his female should check out the layout for you. Unfortunately for you all, there's to be a change of plans. I'm sure you're adaptable, Dr. Scott. I know Brad is. I can assure you that Brad's presence here comes as a complete surprise to me, as does the setup you have here. I did not expect it to be quite so sophisticated, Dr. Scott, or should I say Dr. Von Scott? What exactly are you implying? Duh, that's all right, Brad. Ah, uh, this machine here. <coughs> I need to take a swig. He examines the Coke machine and then takes a flash photo of it. What do you think it is, Doc? At this precise moment, it is hard to tell, but it seems to be made of a metal that is not of this earth. I would say that it was from another planet. Dr. Scott! Janet! Rocky! Hey, yo, piss off. Listen, listen, I made you. Listen, I made you, and I can break you just as easily. I'll pull your plug out. I suppose you intended to do with us as you did with Eddie. Eddie? Shh. Eddie, I've seen him. He looks terrible. What do you know of Eddie, Dr. Scott? I happen to know a great deal about a lot of things. You see, 
Eddie happens to be my nephew. Dr. Scott? Yes, Brad, my sister's boy. I knew he was in with a bad crowd, but it was worse than I imagined. Aliens. Brad, getting the microphone. Tell them, Doc. Okay, I guess we do get... Oh, we do get Eddie's Teddy. All right, I was wrong. I was wrong. Why did I think that that was not... That was not there. Yeah, Amy, that's right. Better wise up, Janet Weiss. I guess that's the song that's not there. Planet Schmanet is not there. That came later. Eddie's Teddy does. And we get, you know, from the day he was born, do, do, do. He, I know, from the day he was born, he was trouble. He was the thorn in his mother's side. She tried in vain, do, do, do. But he never caused her nothing but shame. He left home the day she died. Boom! From the day she was gone. Do, do, do. All he wanted. Do, 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 do. Rock and roll porn. Do, do, do. And a motorbike. Do, 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 do. Shooting up junk. Do, do, do. He was a low-down, cheap little punk. Taking everyone for a ride. <laughs> Doing that. When Eddie said he didn't like his teddy, he knew he wasn't no good kid. But when he threatened your lie with the switchblade knife, everybody shoved him. I very nearly loved him. I said, Hey, listen to me, stay sane inside insanity. But he locked the door and threw away the key. Boom. But he must have been drawn to do do. Into something do, making him want do 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 in a note which reads, What's it say? What's it say? I'm out of my head. Do do do. Oh, hurry, or I might be dead. They mustn't carry out their evil deeds. Yeah, what a guy who makes you cry. And I did. Oh, so you know what it is? So Frank runs to the Coke machine. Uh, she goes and says, say a prayer for Eddie. I just defrosted him. And then he pulls out a bag of blood and gore. His destiny is in the bag. That's what it is. I'll put him down the waste disposal. Clever girl. He throws the bag to Magenta. Magenta exits with the bad. Why you? Frank flicking a switch. There, that should restrain you all. Three pools of light fall onto the stage, one on e each on Brad, Janet, and Scotty. My feet! There's something wrong with my feet! My wheels! My God! I can't move my wheels! It's as if we're glued to the spot! You are so quake with fear, you tiny fools. Okay, it's star time. Riffraff, set the sonic transducer on program eight. Secure all levels at zero. Relax. You won't find Earth people quite an easy mark that you imagine. This sonic transducer, it is, I suppose, some type of audio vibratory physiomolecular transport device? You'd better believe it, baby. You mean? Yes, Brad. It's something that we ourselves have been working on. But it seems our friend has found a way of perfecting it. A device that is capable of breaking down solid matter and then projecting it through space and who knows, perhaps even time itself. You mean he's gonna send us to another planet? 
Okay, so here is Planet Schmanet. I why did I think I, I'm pretty sure what there were like one or two of the songs that were not uh, available. I'll tell you once, I won't tell you twice. You better wise up, Janet Weiss. Yeah, apple pie don't taste too nice. You better wise up. I've laid the seed. It should be all you need. You're sensual as a pencil wound up like an E or first string. When we made it, did you hear a bell ring? Ouch. Um, you better wise up. Build your thighs up. You better wise up. And then she cried out, stop! Don't get hot and flustered. Boom, 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 boom. Use a bit of mustard. You're a hot dog, but you better not try to hurt her. Frank. So Riffraff comes down from the laboratory. He picks up a spray gun, cheap pump, bug sprayer, and dances to the stage. Um, then about three lot the three lines are repeated, and one by one, Janet, Brad, and Scotty are released by Frank, signaling to Magenta to pull the switch. In turn, they they make for Frank, but are sprayed by Riffraff and they become drugged. They're then pushed off into the wings, and while they are gone, save for Riff Raff, Frank, and Magenta and Columbia, Magenta continues to sing even though the band has stopped playing. Magenta, relax. Frank nods to Riff Raff and gives Magenta a liberal spraying. She, <laughs> she purrs and collapses onto the Coke machine. Columbia. Columbia comes like a shot. The artiste's arm in a molecular state somewhere between the entrance and the exit. Riffraff sprays Columbia. When they have pulled themselves together, see they are prepared for the floor show. When they pull themselves together, see they are prepared for the floor show. Columbia speaking solely at first and then getting faster and higher. Oh, wow. I could dig it too much. Far out. What a gas. That's groovy. I'm hip, man. It's like a trip. Oh, nice one. Freak out, baby. Dig you later. Columbia buzzes, jumps left, and exits. There's a pause. It's not easy. Oh, no. First, he bites his lip. It's not easy having a good time. Even smiling makes my face ache. And my children turn on me. Rocky's behaving just as Eddie did. Maybe I made a mistake in splitting his brains between the two of them. Riffraff smiles and says nothing. Magenta crossing to Frank loudly. When do we return to Transylvania? I grow weary of this world. Frank gro uh, groaning as if from a headache. Magenta, I am indeed grateful to both you and your brother, Riffraff. You have both served me well. Loyalty such as yours must be rewarded, and you will discover that when the mood takes me, I can be quite generous he strokes magenta and puts his arm around her magenta i ask for nothing master and you shall receive it in abundance come our guests will be growing restless frank ed exits left magenta and riffraff look on one another they make an extraterrestrial sign and that's the thing that they do with their elbows they have elbow sex um Magenta and Riff Raff exit. The red curtain closes and a spotlight picks up on the narrator. Um, 
And so, by some extraordinary coincidence, fate, it seems, have decided that Brad and Janet should keep the appointment with their friend, Dr. Everett Scott. But it was to be in a situation which none of them could have possibly foreseen. And just a few hours after announcing their engagement, Brad and Janet had both tasted forbidden fruit. This, in and of itself was proof that their host was a man of little morals and some persuasion. What further indignities were they to be subjected to, and what of the sonic transducer and the floor show that had been spoken of? What, indeed, from what had gone on before it was clear that this was to be no picnic. Everyone except for Frank and Scotty enters singly, each wearing a black, right, they're wearing the floor show stuff, and this is the floor show, and everybody has their own part. Columba, Columbia sings, it was great when it all began. I was a regular Frankie fan, but it was over when he had a plan to start working on a muscle man. So you get, you know, we get the story comes out in the song. We get some of the song. Now, the only thing that gives me hope is my love of a certain dope, that's Eddie, Rose tints my world and keeps me safe from my trouble and pain. Think about what that means. Rose tints my world and keeps me safe from my trouble and pain. And Rocky goes, hey, oh, I'm just seven hours old. Uh, truly beautiful to behold. And somebody should be told that my libido hasn't been controlled. Now, the only thing I've come to trust is an orgasmic rush of lust. Rose tits my world keeps me safe from the trouble and pain. Um, and then Rocky throws the microphone to Brad. And Brad goes, it's beyond me. Help me, mommy. I'll be good. You'll see. Take this dream away. What's this? Let's see. Oh, I feel sexy. What's come over me? Woo! Here it comes again. <clears throat> And Janet, of course, I feel, I feel released. Bad times deceased. My confidence is increased. Reality is here. The game has been disbanded. My mind has been expanded. It's a gas that Frankie's landed. His lust is so sincere. Um, and then Frank sings the best part. I mean, this is the best part of Whatever happened to Fay Ray, that delicate satin draped frame, as it clung to her thigh, how I started to cry, for I wanted to be dressed just the same. Boom, boom, boom. Give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Swim the warm waters of the sins of the flesh. I love how it almost feels like it's like an advertisement. Give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Swim the warm waters of sins of the flesh. Erotic nightmares beyond any measure and sensual dream dreams to treasure forever. Can't you just see it? Don't dream it. Make sure you be it. So then they all have their, um, you know, they sing, don't dream it, boom, 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 be it. And they start having an orgy. 
Uh, they all gather around Frank, trance-like. They fall to their knees and stroke each other. Janet slips the microphone to Frank. Scotty enters, takes a photograph. Frank's last chorus continues and fades slowly. And here's a bunch of the things. And there, there he is. And he also has his fishnets on as well. Hmm. We've got to get out of this trap before this decadence saps our wills. I've got to be strong and try to hang on or my mind may well snap in my life will be lived for the thrill. <laughs> and here they are. Uh, it's beyond me. Help me, mommy. God bless Lily St. Sincere. And then they go into my, 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 my. I'm a wild and an untamed thing. I'm a bee with a deadly sting. Got a head and your mind goes ping. Your heart will thump and your blood will sting. So let the party and the sounds rock on. It's just decadence. Gonna shake it till the light is gone, gone, gone. Rose hits my world, getting saved from my trouble and pain. Because that's ultimately, isn't that kind of the theme of what the Usherette is singing about from the very beginning when she's singing Doctor uh, science fiction? This is her rose that tints her world and keeps her safe from the trouble of pain, that sort of thing. And then Riff Raff Burson, it's all, it's above my range. Your mission is a failure. Your life lies to extreme. I'm your new commander. You are now my prisoner. We return to Transylvania. Prepare the transit beam. And then, of course, Frank says, wait, I can explain. And we get, I'm going home. Look at all these photos, man. They're great. That is an... Uh, that's a mug on a Frank right there. Woo. And then he goes, on the day I went away, goodbye. All I and so this is a song about leaving your alien planet, coming to Earth, having great experiences, and now being grateful that you're going home. Of course, Frank doesn't really know. <laughs> What's up, Neon Knees? You stumbled onto the uh, rock, the, the Jeffrey Horror Picture Show. That's what I should have called this. It's the Jeffrey Horror Picture Show. Uh, it's 11.56 over here. Uh, he goes, uh, smile, that will mean I may, I've may. i seen blue skies through the tears of my eyes, and I realize I'm going home. Uh, cards for sorrow, cards for pain. I've seen blue skies. And the magenta, how sentimental. <clears throat> and also presumptuous of you. You see... When I said we were returning, I was referring only to Magenta and myself. I'm sorry, however, if you found my words misleading. You see, you ought to remain here in spirit anyway. He produces a ray gun. Great heavens, that's a laser! Yes, Dr. Scott. A laser capable of emitting a beam of pure antimatter. You mean you're going to kill him? What's his crime? You saw what had become of Eddie. Society must be protected. Exactly, Dr. Scott. Now, Frankenfurter, your time has come. Say goodbye to all of this. And hello to Oblivion. And then in the play, he says, do your worst inferior one. 
But in the movie, he doesn't say anything at all. Do your worst, inferior one. And Columbia goes, no, no. Columbia throws herself between Riff Raff and Frank. Blatt, Columbia, and Frank are both killed. Columbia should die quickly. Frank should enjoy it more. Rocky bellows, beats his chest like King Kong, and picks up Frank. Riff Raff fires again and again until finally Rocky dies. So in the movie, though, he's impervious to the lasers, and they shoot the RKO tower, which causes it everything to collapse, and that's what kills Rocky. Uh, Neon knees his brother has been a Rocky fanatic since the mid '80s. We were talking all about the details between the play versus the movie, and then I decided that I had to single-handedly act out the entire play, which is what I've been doing for almost the last hour. Because yeah, that's right, Neon knees That's right, Richard O'Brien does live in New Zealand and wrote a lot of the story and some of the songs here in Hamilton. Um, man, you ever bump into him? You ever see him? Does he like go out or is he like? He, he married a he has a wife that is like way younger than him. He, his wife is like 35 or something, or I don't know, like 40 now. Um, exactly, Dr. Scott. And he says, do your worst. Right, the, everybody dies, and Brad goes, good God, Riff Raff. Yes. You've killed them. I thought you liked them. They liked you. They didn't like me. They never liked me. You saw the way things were, the way they were going. And in the original in the movie, he just says, They didn't like me, they never liked me, which is good and really insinuates there's there's a lot to be get gleaned from the dialogue and stuff. But quite clearly, Riff Raff perhaps wanted some of the affection that everybody else got from Frank and he didn't get it. And you know, so yeah. Uh Scotty says, You did right. Riff Raff had forgotten them, but now turns on them with the laser. Oh, shit. A decision had to be made. You're okay by me, he offers his hand. Dr. Scott, I'm sorry about your nephew. Yes, well, perhaps it's for the best. You should leave now, Dr. Scott, while it is still possible. We're about to beam the entire house back to the planet of transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. Go now. Uh, Brad pushes Scotty and Janet off. Riff Raff and Magenta look on one another. They start to laugh quietly. Their laughs, their laughter builds as they climb to the laboratory and sit on the Coke fridge. I wonder if I remember to cancel the milk. No matter, Magenta. Activate the transit crystal. We don't get that little line. Instead, they talk about doing the time warp in the movie. And there's a flash and a bang, and Riff Raff and Magenta are gone. The introduction to superheroes starts. The cloud effect plays on the screen, and then a spot picks on Brad, uh, a spot picks up Brad as he climbs the curved ladder singing. And this is the really the only epilogue we get for everybody. Brad says, I've done a lot. God knows I've tried to find the truth I've even lied. But all I know is down inside I'm bleeding. I guess this really is innocent lo innocence lost. <clears throat> then the light picks up on Janet. And I can't do it. My my voice. Ants and superheroes come to feast. To taste the flesh 
not yet deceased. And all I know is that the beast inside is beating. And then it's ah, uh, and then and crawling on the planet's face. Some insects called the human race lost in time and lost in space and meaning. And then we get the the close <clears throat> sigh. I can't sing anymore. Frank has built and lost his science fiction double feature. Frank has built. This is the usherette. Frank has built and lost his creature. Darkness has conquered Brad and Janet. The servants gone to a distant planet. Oh, ho, ho, ho. At the late night double feature picture show. I want to go to the late night double feature picture show. So, so wonderful. So great. The curtain closes and that's the end. Woo! <laughs> Broadway, here we come. Neon Knees says there's a riffraff statue in Hamilton. He lives on a farm outside of Taranga up north. That's awesome. Yes. And meaning. I got to tell you, like the whole time we were reading that and like I was singing that, like I, I could literally picture, I was picturing the movie in my head. I was living the movie as we were doing that. And it's just, ah, God damn. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, th <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was fun. That was a good time. <clears throat> it was like, you know what that was? That was like radio theater. That's what we just did. It was a radio theater of Rocky Horror. And I'm really glad that I have that on the channel. And you can quite see how much Rocky Horror means to me, as it, I know it means to some of you. And um, <clears throat> I, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. And I feel like it is time to maybe revisit it and you know go to a midnight screening you know i'm waiting i'll be honest i don't know if my son will be into it but i i have a feeling that my daughter will be and that when she's old enough that you know i can go and take her i don't know what the what's when it's age appropriate i don't know maybe like 15 14 I don't know what is age appropriate. I can't. I, I. All I know is, I'll be excited. I'll be. I'll be looking forward to taking her when when the time is right. And uh, I guess whenever her maturity, when she understands where she can understand that stuff, I think she would appreciate Rocky Horror like her dear old dad does. Uh, I used to take her mother all the time. She's she's never really into it, but um, we'd have a good time. You know what they do? They'd always you know start off the show. There, there's all these like rituals, and you know you have the whole virgin thing. But there's a dance party in the seats before the movie even starts. That's so much fun. Um, I don't know what Glenn's stance is on that, but Jerry has covered science fiction double feature as the Misfits, you know, under the Misfits moniker. And I know that Doyle loves the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I know that Steve Zing loves the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So those guys, they all love the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, thank you so much for joining me. We have shows going on all this week as well as we have more reviews coming. Um, tomorrow night, we're reviewing May. And then Wednesday is Werewolf by Night. And then Thursday is uh, Dead Scream, which is on Shudder. So full, the week is full, okay? 
Kale is asking, is shock treatment worth a watch? Of course it's worth a watch. Is it good? I mean, nothing nothing compares to Rocky. It really is a singular experience. And, you know, there's like the Revenge of the Old Queen. That was supposed to be like, uh, or Rocky drags his heels. There were a bunch of sequels, like supposed sequels, but there's no actual direct sequel that's ever really officially come out, which is, you know, probably for the best. It's really not a story. It's not a story that like requires its own universe. You know, it's just it's a singular story that you can experience over and over again. Well, there are some things that you experience uh, multiple uh, once. Sorry, you experience once and it's part of a larger story. Like you're not going to sit and watch Fellowship of the Ring 50 times and then go, yeah, I'm good. You're going to watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's like one cohesive piece and the story opens up and carries and flows into the next thing. Rocky horror. The, when the movie starts and the movie ends, that's it. Like you've experienced the movie and it's a singular thing and there's nothing else connected to it. And that's, that is perfectly fine. Yes. Neon knees. Well said shock treatment is not grease to. Unfortunately, I am very famously, not famously, not famous at all, but like, you know, I, I'm very vocally a fan and champion of Scream of, of, of Greece 2 over Greece for lots of reasons. Um, so that's it, guys. That's the show. Thank you so much. Thank you again. And Kale, thank you for uh for the coffee. And uh thank you all for your support. You guys all rule the, the best, better than the rest. And we'll close out with our we'll close out with the Patreon spiel just because. And uh, we'll see. Like I said, we'll see you tomorrow night. All all through till Thursday, we, we got shows coming. So, peace, hair grease. See you tomorrow. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee, but it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. <laughs> the YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind the scenes content that is not available 
on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes. That's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.